Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? The Counting Crows burst onto the scene in the early 1990s when their first album, August and Everything After, became a huge success. They had multiple hit singles and record sales that most bands can only dream about. Over the decades since, they've built a back catalogue of beloved songs, toured the world many, many times, and even got nominated for an Oscar for the song that they wrote for Shrek 2. They're hitting the road in Australia in support of their latest EP, Butter Miracle, Sweet One, and Adam Duritz and David Imagluck are in the studio with me this afternoon. Welcome to you both. Come on down, I should say. I feel like I'm on a game show host. Come on down. <laughs> Come on down. What's happening? Great to have you. I've got to tell you that one of your songs always hits me in the heart and I've always wanted to ask you about it, Long December. Tell me about this song. Uh, <laughs> I think it's kind of perfect. It's the only song I always want to play. I'm so happy to hear that because that's the only song I would love for you to always play. We were going to play it when we came here, but they said we couldn't get a keyboard. Ah, uh, you know, budget cuts at the public broadcaster. What can you do? <laughs> but it's a song that, like, I don't know, not to date me, kind of hit me in that kind of angsty teenage period. And I was like, you know, I don't know. There's just I just always wanted to know more of the story behind it, if you're able to tell me a little bit more. A uh, friend of mine got hit by a car. Uh, and she was in the hospital for months. Uh, and I spent a lot of that autumn and winter. Uh, I would get up in the morning and I would uh, go to the hospital, spend the morning and afternoon with her. And then I would go to the studio. We were, we were recording Recovering the Satellites. And I would spend like the afternoon and evening in the studio. And then I would... Uh, I get done with work and I would go to the Viper Room and bartend for a while, and that was kind of my life for a while there, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I, I just wrote a song about that period. So if it's so, um, uh, you know, a, a kind of difficult time, why do you like returning to it to play it so often? Well, it was a great time. I mean, it was uh, not so great for her. Yeah, but, that's what know, I mean. I, yeah. I didn't get, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get hit by a car. No, I mean, I was in the middle of making a record, um, and that's about as magic as you get as a musician. You know, it's like, it was, you know, hard for her, but I was there for her every day. So as a friend, that's about the best you can do. Mm. Um, and we made a record, uh, which is always like the most important time in my life. Um, so, but I don't know, but the main thing is not have anything to do with that. That's just a story. The song is, is timeless in a way that has nothing to do with what, what it's about. I mean, it's, it really is It's about life and also how it feels to be alive at a given moment when things are difficult and how it feels like they might get better. Um, you know, it's about a lot more than just that one moment in mine and Jennifer's life. You know, she's still one of my best friends in the world. Uh, and we were bonded forever for spending that time together in the hospital like we did. Um, and, you know, it was, she was, other than the band, the central person I was spending my life with at a, at, at a pivotal moment in my life making our second record. And I'll always remember that myself, too, even though, you know, she was going through hell. Uh, we spent it together. You know, she's, uh, to this day, one of my best friends. Yeah. It's great to hear that it's, it still has that resonance when you play it, because it certainly hits me in the chest every time I hear it. Talking about making records, as you say, it's the most joyous part of being a musician. It's been, what, seven years between drinks uh, for you guys? 
Was that a matter of judging or juggling different priorities in your lives or what have you been up to basically? We've had more than a few drinks in those <laughs> That's an seven year Australian sayings. <laughs> it works for us. Studio, too, yeah. studio yeah. albums, uh, yeah. it might refer yeah. to, yeah. 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 Well, we, and we were drunk for that too. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, uh, we toured. I mean, we still worked the whole time, except for the uh, pandemic. pandemic bit. So we were touring the entire time and uh, just playing music. Although we did work during the pandemic on that EP. Yeah, that's true. So there you go. Were you like other singers and songwriters who just really enjoyed that time that the world shut down and you could focus on writing and sort of blocking out the live performance part of your jobs? Oh, no. No. Miss, miss, the, miss the live performance big time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also didn't write anything during the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> just ate pizza. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I cooked and I watched movies Fully. with my girlfriend. <laughs> I, I really, we watched movies all the time and we cooked, I cooked for her. Did, yeah. your, did your girlfriend get into handmade pasta like my, my wife? I'm like, they sell this ready-made. You don't have to make it. No, uh, she got into handmade sauce, but not the pasta. Okay. All right. <laughs> There's only so much I'll do. I love being a cook, but I'm not making pasta. Takes all day. D- <laughs> yeah. don't, don't get me started. So where does writing a song start for you? Do you start with the feeling, the sentiment, words, a riff? What is it? No, it's never words. Uh, it's always music or music and words, but never, never lyrics first. And you've said, Adam, that you, uh, you, most of the songs begin with you writing on the piano. When does it move to stage? I mean, you're the front man, no longer behind the instrument, so to speak. How does your relationship to a song change over the years as you move away from the writing? Uh, well, I mean, I always write... Well, most of the time I write with the intention of the other guys playing. Um, they're all much, much better than me as you know, instrumental musicians. Uh, so I'm always thinking about them when I'm writing. You know, I think how... How is this going to sound? What's Immer going to do here? You know, like, what are me and Immer going to come up with? Uh, it's great that he writes on piano because it, it's uh, unusual keys and unusual chords for guitar. So translating his piano onto guitar is always really fun for me. And it makes me do things that I wouldn't normally do. You know what I mean? And uh, also, he's a really great piano player. He wouldn't say that himself. but He um, wouldn't. I will. Yeah, he wouldn't. <laughs> he will not. You're... I'm right here and you're talking about me. Yeah. You guys have been very, very successful and deservedly so, but that's not a certainty for a lot of musicians, even when the last record was a hit. How have you kept the passion going over all these years? Oh, I think musicians always keep the passion going. It's just that the, the public sometimes just yawns at the thought of you. You know, it, it's a very short shelf life out there. People always want to find something new and, uh, I doubt, I doubt most musicians lose passion for playing. I think people lose passion for musicians. Yeah, right. And that just happens. Huh? But uh, by the same, same token, we, pro- more than some people maybe, do play for ourselves and to, to each other yeah. more than other people might. So that's what we're really, we still get off on that. Mm. Whereas someone else might, you know, if, if the audience is, you know, not paying attention anymore, they lose their passion for it. But... You know, me as a musician, I, I, I just love playing music. You know? so. Have you noticed the generation of the children of, of those that listen to your music in the 90s start to sort of hit up your Spotify and discover your music for the first time? Is that part of the experience too? Well, I think that you look out in the audience and there's all ages. It, it's, it's been that way for a while. Yeah. So We have good fortune with that yeah. particular point, yeah. 
I don't know if it's the children of the people before, but I think younger people, it could be just like uh, Shrek. I'm sure brought a lot of young people into the fold and then they grew up too because that's been 20 years. Has that been 20 years? Well, Shocking, no, isn't it? Oh my God. It's been like, probably been... We've had a few drinks in those 20 okay, years. Uh, yeah, so short time between drinks, we say, here in Australia. Because, of course, you guys came up in the era of music that's sometimes viewed as a double-edged sword. Everyone wants to make it big. But when you did, there was that risk that you'd be, you know, quote-unquote, selling out. What was it like when success came knocking at your door like it did? Well, we sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Shrek 2, is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, Shrek 2 is the best. That was, that was great. That stuff's timeless. But does it change you is kind of the question because... As you said, David, it's about playing music with your friends. That's what you love doing. But then it becomes something entirely different. Well, like I say, that's the great thing about Counting Crows. We're still playing music with our friends. Yeah, I think it changed the other people. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it changed us much. I mean, you just... I've always said fame isn't something you do. It's something other people do to you. That's a good quote. Yeah. Yeah. Can we quote you? Is that that you saying that? you got to yeah, say, well, just, as you usually I'm say, right here. I'm you just right say here. it's Warhol. You say it's Warhol and everyone will believe you because it sounds like something that Warhol would have said. Uh, if you just tuned in on RN Drive, I'm Andy Park. I'm chatting with Dave, David Imagluck and Adam Duritz from The Counting Crows. And you're about to play Elevator Boots. This is the new single. What do you want me to know about this song? Uh, well, I think uh, The Sweet has a couple songs that are about sort of how music has been in my life, you know, for people like us, we grew up huge music geeks and fans, and we've also become people who make music. And I think like Bobby and the Rat Kings looks at uh, the experience from the perspective of a fan of this fictional band who they provided the soundtrack and touchstones to his life. Elevator Boots looks at it more from the perspective of a musician going from town to town and, and like leaving people, but also like always coming back to playing that night. You know, which is our experience too. Like, we've had a a, a multi shaded experience with music in our lives, which is rare. It's been it's been very cool. Well, looking forward to hearing it right. live here in the RN Drive studio. It's the Counting Crows. Let's take a listen to Elevator Boots. Take it away. Bobby was a kid from round of town Kicks pumped up and head held down Underwater more than he was up Dream submarines in bottle green Imaginary flight machines But in blue jean flares he bubbled like a 7-Up Everybody wants to know you When you're the only one to know Shoot it up until you feel alive and play one more show. Plug into the buzz and shake it till it turns around. And you can't stop feeling the Portsmouth suits and the elevator boots us down. And you can't help feeling they want you and you want to. With her lips on fire and her head unscrewed till it's time to put another change. Hit one more town. Bobby doesn't know her name He holds on tightly just the same Sometimes one more night is all you need I met Alice near the Alamo One summer in San Antonio I remember her I don't remember me 
Everybody wants to know you when you're the only one to know. And anything that feels alive is one more show. Plug into the buzz and shake it till it turns around. And you can't stop feeling the Paul Smith suits and the elevator boots is down. And you can't help feeling they want you and you want to. With the hips on fire and a head unscrewed till it's time to whip another change. Hit one more town. Alice knows the secret. She could tell you now if you want to. Does he want you? Do you want to? Snake and sparkle, pan and glide. It's hard to feel and I can't get high. And I don't always understand how to smile. Kids get sick of being bottled up. It drags you down till you throw it up. Gotta get out of the house, take a ride on the radio dial. And everybody wants to know you when you're the only one to know. But everything that feels alive is in one more show. Plug into the buzz and shake it till it turns around. And you can't stop feeling the Smith suits and the elevator boots are down. And you can't help healing, they want you, and you want to. And the kid's so clean with the soul shampooed, and it's time to whip another change. He want more town. Time to whip another change, and he want more town. Man, it's time to whip another change, and he want more town. That, my friends, is the Counting Crows playing for you live here in the Iron Drive studio. David Immergluck and Adam Duritz are here with me. Uh, let's keep talking because I do want to ask you about songwriting a bit more in depth, David. I mean, sorry, Adam. I mean, you uh, is it like writing in a diary where you look back and you're like, oh, geez, that was a bit much, or oh, I wish I didn't have to kind of go over those emotions again? Or is it something else? Do you kind of like to revisit all those times in your life? No, I mean, a diary is just like what you did during your day. It's no art there. I mean, songwriting is, is an art form. It, uh, I don't, I certainly don't look back on anything since our first album without thinking, yeah, that's, that's fucking great. Sorry, that's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I have no regrets, nothing embarrassing to me about that writing. You know, before that, I'm, a little bit like, well, okay, I'm undefeated because I'm like, whatever it is, eight no, because no one heard that stuff from before. Because I, I do think before August, I, I hadn't, the songs have flaws. There's some cool stuff, but they're, you know, it's, but since that first album of ours, I'm thrilled about all of it. Absolutely thrilled. Um, does, it, does it make you more committed to what you are putting on tape? Because, well, you're going to have to mean it for forever and ever, right? I mean, I've been that, committed. That, that's from, always the idea. Yeah. Right? You can't take it. It's like a tattoo. You kind of can't take it back. Oh, I, yeah, but you don't want to. I mean, you should make perfect records. You should just go make it and, and until it's everything. Not that it's perfect for other people, but it should be perfect for you. Like when the record is, is everything you wanted it to be, then you can put it out. I don't understand the people who look back and they go like, oh, I, I don't like that album. Like I, I know I have stuff before our first album that's not that great. But by, when we start making records, 
I made sure everything was what I wanted it to be. That doesn't mean anybody else has to like it at all, but I love it. Yeah, we we keep yeah. a high bar for ourselves, which is yeah, you know, you have to. Yeah, uh, David, you talked about loving just being with your friends and making music. You have a lot of friends and you make a lot of music. Uh, the Counting Crows is just one of your many projects. There's Campervan, Beethoven, Monks of Doom. Do they kind of scratch different itches uh, for you uh, musically, or? <laughs> Over the years, maybe, but now for me, it's sort of like it's all just one big band or something, you know. It's, I, I love it all, you know. And, uh, you know, Counting Crows is the main, you know, f- force. Um, but uh, variety is the spice of life. And I happen to uh, have good fortune of playing with a lot of, lot of different great people. And I pursue it. He will play the opening of an envelope. (laughs) The man is a whore. For a fee. For a fee. (laughs) I paid to play for an opening of an envelope. So that's how much I like it. Well, well, speaking about variety, Adam, listening to Underwater Sunshine, the podcast that you did with James uh, Campion, it's clear that you don't just, you know, stick to your lane sort of thing. You're deeply passionate about music in general. What is it like to get the full band on the road back together? Is there a lot of debate about what goes on the stereo or...? Between the band? Mm. Oh, you think we're listening to music? No, there's no stereo. The yeah. There's no stereo. Yeah. There's just e- AirPods yeah, and you gotta, privacy. You got you got to come to my hotel room to hear what I'm listening to. Yeah, no, and that might scare you. <laughs> that does sound scary, actually. But our bus is me, Immer, our tour manager Tom, and and Dan, one of our other guitar players. And the other bus has a uh, Miller, Jim, our you know bass and drummer, and Dave Bryson and uh, Charlie. And what goes on over there, I don't know. I'm sure it's appalling. But on our <laughs> bus, things are great. You know, it's like we all get along really well. We, we hang out. We talk. Uh, They'd kill me if I played DJ, though. You know? Ah, right. Okay. Well, if you haven't figured out those dynamics by now, oh, you probably never yeah, will. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. You know. But, I mean, even to this point, we're still turning each other on to tons of great music, just like we did when we were kids. I mean, the two of us have definitely been, and I've probably gotten more from him than he's gotten oh, from me. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. Arguable, but, yeah, but... But, you know, but we're still doing it with each other. We're turning on the things, you know. I, we have the podcast and we have the uh, Underwater Sunshine Festival, you know, where we, you know, put all these young bands out there, me and James and some other friends of mine. But Immer always shows up for it. He ends up playing with the people that we're... He makes friends with them just like we do. For a small fee. Yeah. <laughs> like our friend Sean Barna, who, who just got signed to Kill Rockstars, uh, his new record, An Evening at Macri Park, features both yeah, Immer yeah. and I oh, right. on it, about yeah. half the record. I'm on four or five songs. He is too, I think. Uh, so, you know, we end up... It's not just the sharing music we turn each other on to. It's uh, getting involved with those musicians, and we both end up on things, again, him on much more than me. Well, when I go out and I see people that I like, and I might not know them, my introductions usually, I hate to tell you this, but I'm going to be playing with you. You know, <laughs> It's for their own good. It's honestly. a bold <laughs> opening. Yeah, yeah. He's worth having, though. It's, it's, it's worth doing. Uh, Adam Duritz <laughs> and David Immerglark have been my guests this afternoon. The latest release by The Counting Crows is Butter Miracle Sweet One, and they'll be on tour across Australia from the end of March. You can check online for details. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.